Hello people, it's your boy Caesar here and this is another episode of the Hybrid Club. Hope all is well. Um, you know the usual, you know where to find us at the Hybrid Club. You can find me on the socials at C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. What's good? So it feels like it has been forever. It really hasn't, but it really does feel that way. We are finally back. There is a game this weekend against Brentford away from home community stadium i think it's time for some payback but listen first of all i wasn't sure this game was going to go ahead with the everton game getting called off with the psv getting game game getting called off and obviously with all the preparations for the uh funeral on monday i think there's no way a game this weekend in london is going ahead if those other games got called off and yet somehow the fates have worked their magic for this game to go ahead so it's happening and finally we have some football and i've got to say to be honest you realize just how much your sort of weekend and your week revolves around the football when it when it's called off you really do you know sort of for me in terms of doing this show and the scheduling between this and my business and my other work it's it's so much gets scheduled around what arsenal are doing but also like psychologically in terms of your your mental health and well-being right you know if i still lose a game you hate it if they win you're you know utter jubilation so not having anything not having a wave to ride in terms of sort of the outcome of the results or a game to look forward to or results to talk about it's very disorientating i've got to say so really happy um for for the game to be on and for the boys to be back um yeah it's just it's been needed um that being said uh fantastic game uh friday night uh arsenal women against brighter women and four nil win uh for the arsenal um, we'll talk a bit about that later in the game but it was great to get some football last night as well um just because it was sorely sorely missed and and yeah seeing the arsenal women run out and absolutely dominate brighton was a joy to behold um but look we're we're talking about brentford for the moment um look if this game didn't go ahead and had to be rescheduled, it would have been a problem, no doubt about it. Um, if you look at the schedule after the World Cup, um, and especially given all the games there are and the fixture list and how sort of bunched up it is, being able to play those games um, the second half of the season, particularly if we go deep in Europa League, particularly if we do well in the domestic cups, it it would be an absolute nightmare, you know. Um, when Arteta was asked about the game potentially being called off, he said, we need to play and we want to play games. When you look at the schedule after the World Cup, especially, or at what we have to go through in October, we need to play games because if not, it's just impossible. And that's the point he's trying to make ultimately. It would be impossible to play all of these games if we do what we want to do in each of these competitions. So, yeah, I think if anything, this whole postponement um, situation has sort of reminded me of two things really. One is... You know, last year we saw around wintertime COVID postponements kick up all over the league. You know, people only focused on ours, but pretty much every team had one. And so if something like that was to happen this winter, who knows what the Premier League schedule would look like? Hopefully not. Hopefully we're over the worst of things. Um, and so that's not so much of an issue. But honestly, you never know when COVID is 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 uh, is about. But the, the second thing is it reminds me that the football calendar is jam-packed and we need less football not more that's the reality there are too many games and you almost need a chance to miss the game a bit because i think it could get take, taken for granted when you have a game every three days in you know multiple places all the time it, there's you know there's never not a game on depending on where you look and and what you're into um but look back to the arsenal this is our first premier league game since the united loss uh, people worried about our players getting a break well they've had one um, you know, we may come to pay for it in the second half of the season, but that's the second half of the season's problem. We've got to manage the games as they come. We've had a break. The players have had a break. They should be absolutely raring to go. Um, not just because they want to put uh, put right that United result, um, but also because, you know, professional footballers, this is what they do, right? It's game day. Training is one thing, but they want to play games. They want to win games. Um so yeah, the game against Brentford, as we said, away from home at the community stadium. Um, to some degree, some would argue, not me, but some would argue there's a score to settle there. Um, if you think about it, you know, 
their win against us the opening day of last season, Friday night under the lights, you know, first game in the Premier League in the brand new stadium, um, you know, Carragher and Neville there, you know, dancing a jig with the home fans. It, you know, they turned into a massive party. And to be honest, it's not, um, it wasn't that much of a surprise, particularly when you factor in, obviously, the absences um, due to COVID and injuries that we had. Um, and the fact that we hadn't completed our transfer business, it meant that ultimately we were going to be going into that game a little bit weak, to say the least. And uh, yeah, they were up for it, you know, battery in their back, boosted and ready to go. Um, I mean, I, I, for one, I don't know how I feel about the idea that there's some revenge. You know, we did play them in February this uh, this year, uh, last season, and beat them 2-1. It should have been more. It was a comfortable win. Um so I don't know about the revenge aspects, but I get it. You know, that was a, you know, that was a game that was played out in front of the world media. You know, it was the opening game of the season. Everyone was watching and they took us apart. So, you know, Ben White got absolutely dominated by Ivan Tony. And to be honest, his reputation as an Arsenal defender pretty much started on a back foot. And I don't think he's been given the praise he deserves for his level and his performances. Almost not entirely, obviously, don't be ridiculous, but almost off the back of that result, people sort of made their mind up about him pretty quickly. And people can be sort of very, um, require very low data points to make up their mind. It only takes seeing one or two things and I'll form an opinion and it will take a lot to shift that opinion. And I think that's kind of a bit of what's happened with Ben White there. Um, so yeah, it, it, it definitely was, um, was one of those games that you definitely remember. And so the boys, I think, will want to, to, to do something about that. But one of the reasons why I say I'm not necessarily um, a believer of the whole need to get revenge thing is because it's a it's a pretty def- different team. It's a pretty different squad to the team that played them. You know, there are some players, like I said, Ben White, who who want to, you know, show, show themselves and, 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 you know, seek some revenge. But if I take you back to that squad on that day, it was very, very different. I mean, our starting lineup on the day was Burn Leno in goal, Kieran Tierney, Ben White, Callum Chambers, Pablo Marie, Emil Smith Rowe, Gabriel Martinelli, Nicola Pepe, Lokonga, Granite Shaka with Balogun up top. Now, here's the thing about that Leno gone. Tierney should be playing, Ben White should be playing, Chambers gone, Pablo Marie gone on loan, Smith Rowe injured. Martinelli had just stepped off a plane, I think, after the Olympics going into this game, so he'd barely trained. Nicola Pepe gone. Um, Lokonga's with us, but he literally just joined the club when he played that game. Shaq is there and Balogun's on loan. I mean, our subs bench was was wild. We had Carl Hine, um, Hector Bellerin, who's gone, Rob Holding, Cedric Suarez, Nuno Tavares, who's gone on loan, Bakayo Saka, who basically just came back after uh, everything that happened with the England national team in the Euros, Maitland-Niles, who's now gone um, again on loan, Elneny, who's injured, and Reese Nelson, who's injured. So when you look at the squad that played, I mean, almost half of that defensive line is gone. The goalkeeper's gone. You know, I, I mean, yeah, it's it was a very different team. You can see in that side, you know, no Lacazette, no Aubameyang. Um, like we said, Saka had just come back from the Euros. He wasn't fully fit yet. Obviously, there's no uh, Gabriel Magalhaes in there. Obviously, William Saliba was on loan. Um we obviously we hadn't had Ramsdale at that point. Um, hadn't brought Ramsdale at that point, so a lot has changed. And if you look at our side now, we'll probably be going into this this squad completely different. Um, not probably, we will be going into this 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 game completely different. So I just I, how many of those players will be thinking revenge, and how many of them will be thinking we had a good run disrupted by a poor result at United? So let's put that right. But, you know, obviously the narrative is the narrative, right? People will be saying it and so it won't be lost on them and it'll be in their mind, at least some of them anyway. Um, you know, but I, like I said, that game wasn't wasn't that much of a surprise. I remember speaking to a friend of mine, um, you know, not long after the fixture list had been announced, seeing that game and, uh, you know, he's an Arsenal supporter for, you know, lifelong Arsenal supporter, but you know, moved to, to West London uh, a few years back and so had been going to some of Brentford's games in the championship just to, you know, go to some football, really. And he'd watched them play a lot and we'd spoken about it and speaking about how, you know, how great, how, uh, you know, how well run a club it is and how innovative they are and how they do things. And we both said, you know, that fixture is going to be a problem. You know, if anyone thinks that just because they 
had just come up from the championship that that was going to be a walkover, then they weren't paying attention. And so it proved. But as I said, we also beat them last season, um, 2-1 at home at the Emirates. Goals from Smithrow and Saka. At the time, Smithrow scored his goal. Um, he was top goal scorer for the club. And it's just a reminder of how good a player he is. Sort of a solo slalom run. Tierney did an overlap. He cut in, uh, Smithrow cut inside. Right-footed shot, bent into the bottom corner. Uh, Rhea got a hand to it, but couldn't keep it out. Um, fantastic goal. And Bukayo Saka, even his goal was great. You know, turnover. They threw caution to win hard men forward we got the turnover broke forward ball played to um Bukayo Saka in in channel 16 and sort of got to the edge area and just rifled a left-footed shot um past Rhea 2-0 at that point they got a late goal from Nodegaard but you know we should have beaten them by far more so you know we and you saw obviously uh Arteta had put up the um the tweet from Tony to motivate the guys after the the loss and you saw Lacazette tweet back, you know, nice kick about with the lads or whatever. So it, it, to me, the revenge thing was was put to bed then. But as I said, you know, it is a talking point, right? So it is what it is. Um, but yeah, if this game wasn't going ahead, we wouldn't have had any Premier League football for a month. We had the game against FC Zurich. Um, and that team was heavily rotated. Obviously, a lot of our first team players are starting 11, if you will did play eventually coming off the bench or otherwise, but it was a heavily rotated squad. Um, so there hasn't really been much football to talk about. And while the players I'm sure will be happy for the rest in the sense of, you know, not having that overload. Um, the reality is that you also need a consistent sort of uh, frequency of games to maintain that match fitness and that match sharpness. And so not playing a game for a while isn't conducive to performing well either. So you need to strike that balance. Um, I was looking, I was just, you know, in preparation for this pod and just looking ahead to the game. I was having a look at what some Brentford fans were saying. Um, and if you listen to some Brentford fans, they think we'll be nervous about this game, not not just because of um, what happened at the opening game of, of last season, but just because Brentford are a really good side and um, can cause uh, big teams and very good teams of, uh, a lot of problems. I don't think we'll be nervous at all about going into this game. I think we... I think we'll know that they're a dangerous team and that they have a lot of potential um, threats that they could cause. And I think we'll be well prepared for it. So I don't think we'll be nervous. I don't think we'll take them lightly, but I don't think we'll, we'll be nervous at all. But, you know, I've seen, you know, Brentford fans and, and uh, content creators saying that they think it will be a bit end to end um, and Brentford will go for us and we'll go for them and that it could be, you know, a high scoring game. Me personally, I, I would love Brentford to to play an open game against us. I'd love for them to, to go at us because I think if it goes end-to-end and it's an open game, I think we slaughter them. You know, we're a team that doesn't concede much and we've been scoring goals this season and our team is better than it was last season. Much, much, much better than it was last season. So if they if they come at us and leave space in behind and you've got players like Saka, Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus being fed by the likes of Erdegaard, Shaka. Yeah, I'm sorry. I I, I think um, I I think we slaughter them. I really do. I don't, it's not that I don't think they're dangerous. They clearly are. But if they come and play an open game against us, I think that'll be a problem. I I don't think they will personally. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we're getting, you know, peak uh, Bolton Sam Allardyce low block football. You know, I don't think we're getting Mourinho park the bus football. But I do think we're going to see them play the game a bit smarter and try to capitalize and put pressure on us to try and get those turnovers and, and transition into space. I do. That's the obvious thing to do against us because of how we play in the spaces we leave. So, you know, if they were to just start to try and land haymakers on us, I, I think that would be ridiculously naive. And Thomas Frank does not strike me as a, you know, a naive manager at all. Far from it. Exactly the opposite. Um, so, you know, we obviously are, like we said, our, last um, Premier League game was the the loss to United. They beat Leeds 5-2. Um, the game was closer than it sounds, but the Ivan Tony hat-trick was ridiculous. And off the back of that, of course, he has his first England call-up, which is well-deserved. Really good player. Has been doing really, really well. That step up from the Championship has not looked like much for him. Don't get me wrong, obviously the goal drop-off from the Championship to the Premier League is going to happen, but he has not looked out of place in the Premier League at all. You see certain strikers... Um, when they come from the championship to the Premier League, they look like they're fighting for their life just to 
just to get a goal, just to keep up, you know. And it's no, it's 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 no shade on them or anything. It's just a ridiculously high level. And for Tony to have come up with the rest of the Brentford squad and just look completely at home in the league tells you how good a player he is. Obviously, we were linked with him along with a host of other strikers to replace Lacazette and Aubameyang. Um, I think we'll all say that, however well Tony's been playing this season, we are very much delighted with the striker we got in Gabriel Jesus, who has been phenomenal both in terms of his performances and so far. Um, really, really good in terms of the output that we got from him. Um, so, you know, but with that with that being said, obviously they did beat Leeds 5-2. They also had that hilarious win against United, that 4-0. It seems so long ago now. And this is the thing about football. So much happens and so much changes really, really quickly. You know, a few weeks back, United were, you know, in chaos and the club was about to get burnt to the ground and, you know, go into administration and reform... Uh, you know, it was it was chaos, and now all of a sudden, you know, after a few decent performances, I say decent performances, decent performances, um, they're now you know they're now on a high and managed to get some points off, uh, against us to help to help boost their morale. Um, so things can change very quickly, which is why I say we cannot take this team lightly, and I don't think we will. Um, you know, but even then, before um, Brentford got their five-two win, they were on a three-game winless run in the Premier League. So they're not infallible. As good as they are, then there is no reason we should be nervous about this game. I think is a very different situation, very different circumstance, quite obviously, to that opening game last season. And for me, that is just one of those games that will go down in Premier League history as just one of those memorable nights in in the Premier League. But I don't think it's indicative of anything more than the situation we were in at the time. You know, it began those uh, those games, those those opening three games, bottom of the table, zero points, and you saw how we've recovered. And Arteta has shown multiple times in his managerial career at Arsenal that if we go on a bad run, he's able to turn it around and recover. Um, the point now is to not go on the bad run, right? And this is where we said this team cannot take that United result and do what we've done in previous years, where one loss turns into two, two luck turns into three, and then suddenly you're slipping behind people you're you're trying to keep up with and then have to play catch-up later in the year. The schedule is unforgiving, even more, even more so now than ever before. So falling behind is just not a possibility. It's not something we can entertain. It's not something we can do. We have to just nip it in the bud. We did well to do that against FC Zurich. But with all due respect to them, this is a different calibre of opposition. And so we need to make sure when it comes to the Premier League, we definitely keep that United result to what it was, put in a box, put it behind us and we move forward. And the best way to do that is go to Brentford, go to the Community Stadium in West London, get that win, take the three points, go back to North London and remind everyone who runs this city. Um, so Arteta did his press conference on Friday. Um, and he, you know, he touched on a few different things. You know, spoke very well about uh, Thomas Frank, who I think is a fantastic manager and really suits Brentford and the project, and they're doing really well. Um, spoke well about you know Brentford as a team, but he also spoke about some of our players and some of what's been going on. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on it really quickly, but I do want to get on to the you know the preparation for the game itself. But um, you know, he spoke about um, Ben White's absence from the English squad. So as we know, Ben White wasn't called up. Um, and there was a hint in the, the sort of line of questioning to suggest that maybe, um, maybe I'm in, maybe I'm inferring rather than it was being implied, but maybe something to do with him playing at right back more this season potentially had an impact on his his call up. Um, and Arteta made the point that ultimately he can be he can play both right back and centre back to a high level. Um, and he said, you know, in his opinion, that's something that any manager wants, especially when you go to a tournament where a lot of things can happen. But ultimately, it's Southgate's decision. Um, he also spoke about using versatility to maximise uh, the Arsenal squad this season. And that's something I spoke a lot about um, during the transfer window. Um, he said, we have to have certainty that the player is happy to do so and that he feels capable to do that. If not, it's just a waste of time. So clearly he's approached Ben White and said, look, right back, centre back, we need you to do it. Can you do it? And Ben White's gone, hell yeah, I can. And that's exactly what you want. The fact is, for our style of play, we know our fullbacks step into the centre of the pitch a bit more. We know that they're important to our build-up. Um, we know that they have to have the ability to be comfortable on the ball, but also to be able to be, you know, decent one-on-one defenders. Um, ben White can do that. There's no problem with that. I have no problem with Ben White and what he's 
got going on. Um, and I think if anything, if you are a, a manager looking at an international tournament like Gareth Southgate would be, you want Ben White in your squad. Um, and if he doesn't go for him, then I think that would just be a silly mistake. But it is what it is, right? Ultimately, you want your players going to international tournaments because if they're playing for the international team, it tells you, particularly if it's an international team like England, it tells you that they're one of the best in the country. Um, but for now, given the fixture congestion and all the games, um, I'd be more than happy for Ben White to sit, sit this one out. I'm sure he's not, but more than happy for him to sit this one out if it means that we can uh, keep him fit. Um, on versatility, said uh, spoke similarly about Tom Yasu, was saying he could play central defender um, as well as right back. Can also play left, you know, left centre back, uh, which is where he plays for Japan. But can also play left back, um, and that's due to his two footedness. You've seen that ability and how important that is in terms of being able to get out of tight situations. Right, if the other team tries to press you on your right foot to make you go inside, well, he's comfortable playing with his left foot, so he can go inside and play the ball out, and it's not a problem. And that kind of outlet just lets you escape pressure and move up the pitch uh, better, quicker, progress the ball quicker, um, and makes you more dangerous. And Tom Yasu's brilliant for that. Now, obviously, he's been coming off the bench more this season with Ben White playing right back. For me, that's not a problem. It's about competition. He's one of those players that when he steps onto the pitch, you have no concerns, no worries. Um, he's not infallible, don't get me wrong. We saw um, when he was playing somewhat injured against Liverpool last season um, how uh, he lost that duel against Jota. But last season against Jota, who did it, right? He absolutely, you know, he had us on toast last season. So other than sort of when he's been injured and uh, just general availability issues, Tommy Asu has been fantastic. Um, and that versatility is going to be important. Um, also, speaking of the international break and players not called up, there was obviously the news about, um, you know, Gabriel Jesus not being in the squad. And this is an important thing, right? We, on the one hand, are celebrating because we're saying to ourselves, you know, oh, great, um, these players won't get injured and can save themselves. Um, any hassle by not having to travel around or come back and et cetera, et cetera. But the thing you've got to remember as well is for a lot of these players, particularly when you talk to uh, Brazilian fans, in Brazil, playing in a World Cup for Brazil is massive. It cannot be uh, overstated how important it is. If these players feel like they cannot get into the Brazil squad playing for Arsenal, that would be a problem. Definitely, 100%, that would be a problem. And so I think part of uh, Arteta's response to questions about uh, Jesus's lack of inclusion in the World, World Cup squad was with a view to kind of shutting down that conversation before it becomes one. Um, so what he said is that he tries to convince the players that they have to put their heads down and accept the decision. Um, and he's saying that's the way they've reacted and there's nothing else to comment on. So that phrasing right there tells you he's trying to shut that down immediately because if that becomes a conversation, that's a conversation you do not want. Um, personally, I don't think it's a problem. I would be amazed if Jesus doesn't go to the World Cup. I think it's the case that, um, and I think Tim Stillman spoke about this a few times, about the fact that you know it's probably more likely the manager's just looking at their other options. Um, it might be a bit of a trickier thing for Martelli, depending on what happens, of course, with Rafinha and... Um, and uh, Anthony, but uh, I certainly think Jesus and Gabriel being in the squad, and uh, given how well Martinelli's been performing this season, I think it would be disappointing if he didn't. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's important that they get in. But I'm like I said, on this occasion for these for these performances, I'm for these uh, games coming up, I'm more than happy that they don't have to do that. Um, and regarding the Brazilian contingent, uh, he was talking about Marquinhos as well. Um, and just how well he's been doing. Um, and it's quite interesting to listen to the comments about Marquinhos uh, because Arteta said he's very popular with no English, just as his smile and his attitude. He's earned the respect and admiration of everybody here. It was a big step up for him because he hasn't played enough minutes with us, but we were willing to give him the opportunity. I think he deserved it. I think he took it really well. And he's a player that needs to keep developing. And in order to do that, we need to give him opportunities. Um, and as for whether whether or not he's ready for the Premier League, Arteta sort of you got the sense from his answer that they're trying to build him up. Um, it'll take a steady approach to determine his readiness. Suspect he may get another. He, he'll get he'll get Europa League minute opportunities. He will, but whether or not he gets Premier League minutes, I think that will come down to availability. I think if he has to, he will. Um, but I don't think he wants to rush him. You know, there was talk about Arteta deciding whether or not. Um, it would he you know whether or not he'd send him on loan perhaps um 
in the second half of the season. I personally, you know, from a personal point of view, I just think keep him here for the season. Let him get used to playing in England. Let him get used to the club, to Arsenal, to moving to this country. Um, because ultimately it's a big step up and it's a big transition, both in terms of his professional life and his personal life. So let him get used to it. Let him get adjusted. Give him cup minutes, Europa League minutes, a few minutes off the bench here and there in the Premier League, um, where appropriate. And then next season, send him on loan. Um, but obviously, if he's doing that well and he's knocking on the door and he needs minutes for his development, then obviously you've got to do what you've got to do, right? Um, so that was just, that was a bit of what what went on in the press conference. Um but really, you know, when speaking about Brentford, it, what else is there to say? They're a good side. They're a dangerous side with a good manager. Um, so that that is what it is. And that's where we are. So in terms of the game itself, just looking at some of the important players and things to look out for. Um, for Brentford, obviously, there's only one place to start. Ivan Tony. Um, at the start of last season, absolutely bullied Ben White. Um, no doubt about it. Have, have to admit that was the case. Um Personally, I think it was sort of overstated given, like we said, and like we spoke about the context of everything that was going on at that time. Um, but it is what it is, right? And that's what people will remember, even if they don't remember the ins and outs of the game exactly. They'll remember how the game made them feel and they'll remember their impression leaving that game. And what they take away is, you know, Ben White got bullied. So even though I don't think Ben White will be playing centre-back in this game, so they may not necessarily be an exact matchup. You never know, right? If they're playing in a two, Tony might decide to play, you know, pull onto the, the right back position to try and get some joy. Um, you know, if we're talking deep crosses into the box, maybe from a set piece, maybe he tries his luck on on Ben White in terms of trying to get the header or win the win the set piece duel. Um, but realistically, uh, I think this matchup, this this game is probably gonna be more of a Tony versus Saliba. I think that's the matchup, really. Um I would be amazed if Tony wants it with Gabriel. Most most strikers don't, quite frankly. I mean, Tony has got the confidence, um, dare I say arrogance in a good way, to to want to go up against Gabriel in a physical battle. And Tony is a big guy, um, strong, quick, athletic. He's got all of that, but he's also really intelligent, good feet, um, plays brilliantly well uh, in terms of how he sort of does the hold-up play and back to goal. But I think he'll want to... Um, put himself on Saliba on the younger player um, just to just to give him sort of one of those welcome to the Premier League games. That's that's something I could definitely see happening. So watch out for that battle. Um, it, he comb- Tony combines well with Umbremo as well. I suspect that we're going to see a 3-5-2, um, two up top for, um, for Brentford. And so that combination between the two of them, I think is going to be something to, to watch out for as well. Um, the fact is, Tony has no behavior. He does not care. He's not phased. Um, you know, I, he spoke last season about playing against Arsenal and what he said, what he said essentially was um, Arsenal lost that fear factor. Teams don't feel fear when you play Arsenal. Arsenal don't have that same gravitas that they used to. Um, and then he made a joke about Arsenal maybe needing a better striker, which, you know, yikes. But this season we have that striker. But um, by his ways, but yeah, so he because of that confidence that he has and how that impacts his play, I think, you know, it's a bit like the Mitrovic situation with Fulham, whereby he's a player who is not only just going to use his physicality, but use it in an intelligent way. He'll have no fear. He'll definitely be putting the the play the, the players under pressure, trying to win the ball back wherever he can, um, you know, and trying to get shots off wherever he can. And he's got the ability to to, to do that so we've got to definitely 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 stay on our toes around him um as well as uh Ivan Tony you've got Mateus Janssen as well uh, Mateus Janssen so if you remember the Man United game he was the the player charged with basically sticking to Ericsson um and trying to stop their build out from the back through Ericsson so Ten Hag had had an issue in previous games of uh, Man United's build up and progression of the ball so in that game against Brentford he decided to put um Ericsson in number six and sort of have a ball playing uh deep line playmaker and um Thomas Frank said okay well I'm going to put Jensen on that and just basically man mark him so when uh De Gea tried to do his playing out from the back you know, looking like it was the first time he'd ever kicked football in his life. Jensen was right on Ericsson, stole the ball, won it back um, and scored the goal. So whoever plays number six for us, expect something similar. Expect Jensen or someone similar to be on you um, the moment you get that ball from Ransdale. So our passing is going to need to be quick. Our movement's going to need to be quick. Um, 
to be honest, in terms of sort of the Arsenal connection, the talking points are numerous in this game. Um, Arsenal were linked to David Rea and were interested in going for him. Um, but the, 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 I believe there was a clause in the contract that, you know, basically meant that he, we were priced out. And I think that was the, the window, in fact, we ended up with Renison. So, yeah, yikes. Um, there's also Josh De Silva, who, uh, former Arsenal Academy graduate, fantastic midfielder, you know, um, moved to Brentford when they were in the Championship and played a significant role in their promotion to the Premier League. Unfortunately, spent a long time injured, so missed pretty much the entirety of last season. Um, has been playing games this season, done really well, getting goals, and so is is starting now and, and showing his level. He is a really, really good player and someone who was extremely highly rated in our academy at the time. Um, I suspect the lack of opportunities probably came from there just not really being a clear pathway into our midfield at the time. Um, it's a shame because I think he you know, could have done really well for us. Um, not saying he would have been a starter or anything else like that, but you've seen with the likes of, you know, your Iwobis and your Oxlade Chamberlains and um, things like that, like having academy players who come through, they can either, you know, the Willocks as well, they can either, you know, pad out your squad and give you actual options off the bench um, that can, you know, that can really impact games. Or if you do decide that you're going to sort of move on from them and, and sell them, they can get you a really, really good price in the market. And I think we missed out on a player though, who I think could have been a useful squad player, um, but also could have, you know, made us a, a significant profit in the market, you know, compared to what Brentford got him for, what he could be worth now is a lot different, particularly if he keeps going. So he's definitely one to watch because he's a really good player. Um, on the Arsenal side of things is, you know, from, from our point of view, probably the player who, um, the, the important player is probably less the player who's on the pitch and more the player who's not on the pitch, and that is Emil Smith-Rowe. Now, a lot's been said in the last few days about him and his fitness and availability and question marks about his Arsenal future even. All hyperbolic. All hyper I mean, it's just ludicrous. The man, he, he he's, he's a young player who is growing and developing, and that sometimes, um, as we've seen with previous players and other players, it sometimes causes problems in terms of their development as you're trying to get them to sort of, I suppose, grow into their bodies and develop the muscular um, attributes to be able to perform at the highest level while developing their technical game and everything else. It can cause problems. I remember a young Steven Gerrard having lots of injury problems before he sort of grew into himself and became the man that he became. Um, Smith Rowe is a prime example, and I think the same thing with Tierney as well. Smith Rowe is a prime example of a player who I think they're ability gets conflated with their availability. Um, and so because a player gets injured a lot, people start to question their ability. Like, ah, oh, you know, is he even that good? Will he even kick on? Yada, yada, yada. Composure. Let's all just calm down. Smith Rowe is a phenomenal player. Like I said, he bagged our first goal against Brentford in the uh, fixture at the Emirates last season in February. At the time he did that, he was our top scorer. Um, he is a brilliant player. Fantastic running with the ball at his feet. Fantastic meeting the ball on the edge of the area, running in space, scoring goals. Um, he is a really, really good player. It is not a mistake that we gave him the number 10 shirt. It wasn't a fluke. He is really good. We just need to get him fit, and that is something that's going to take time. Um, I hope that it's not going to be a long-term thing for him. You know, I hope it's not going to be a Diaby or a Walsh or a Riziki type situation for him. I hope it's just a case that he's young and he's growing. Um I think Arteta and, and other people at the club have spoken about the fact that it's an ongoing growing problem that's related to sort of his growth, I guess. So we'll just have to see how that goes. But the reason I mention him is because of the lack of options we do have on that left-hand side if um, Martinelli isn't available and you don't want to have to play Martinelli every single minute. So there's going to have to be some movement. You know, it may mean Nketiah coming in through the middle, moving Jesus right and Saka left or Jesus left and Saka right or things like that. There's going to have to be some movement. Um, you know, maybe Vieira comes in on the right and Saka goes on the left. Who knows? But um, this would have been a great game for uh, Smith Rowe to sort of make himself available and, and be available. But obviously, we saw that he went off during the the, the warm down after the United game, um, pulled up with an injury. So we'll see what happens there. But in terms of the players who are available, like I said, I do think we're going to see an interesting battle between Saliba and Tony. I do think. Um, 
that's going to be a situation. I also think that um, another thing to watch out for is our build-up in central areas now that Tierney's playing and Zinchenko's not available. So we know how crucial Zinchenko is and we see how well he does um, doing that build-up. Because Martinelli's there, all action, able to push ahead, um, stay wide, chalk on his boots, uh, boots and cut inside, we see how much of the central area is controlled by Zinchenko stepping into central midfield and connecting with the likes of Shaka and Jesus. Um, Tierney's less comfortable doing that and more comfortable on the outside. Um, like I said, the Brentford game in February, Tierney um, was making overlapping runs like he usually does. That creates space for Smith Rowe to cut inside, go between two Brentford uh, players and and curl the ball um, home uh, a la Thierry Henry. So with the central midfield play not being Tierney's um, strong suit, the question will be, what is our game? What's our game going to look like? What's our build-up going to look like? In recent games, it hasn't been that much of a problem, but you've noticed the drop-off, which is understandable. It's not Tierney's game. But I like the fact that he's got the um, aptitude to learn, the desire to learn. He's clearly trying to do that. He's not... Um, there are some players who step into a team um, to replace players, and no matter how hard they try, you know, they, they just can't they can't do it. Um, and there's some players who just won't do it. Um, you know, I think holding is a player who, when he steps into the team central midfield, he does try to play the aggressive progressive passes. He tries, he does try with, to help with build up, but it's just not in his locker. It's not his game. So when he does, it doesn't really look great or comfortable. Um, and then there's players for me, like Lacazette, who, when he was playing as a striker for us towards the end of his time at Arsenal, he just, I personally, I think he just lost the physical capability to, to get up and down. Um, but I think he just stopped trying at a point. That's brutally honest. I think he stopped trying to get back into central areas after dropping deep. Um, and I don't think it's because he didn't care or wasn't trying at all. I think he felt the physical exertions of trying to do it at the highest level constantly and just couldn't keep up and so stopped doing it. I, I just think that's the reality of it. Um, Cedric's another one who I don't think uh, sort of keeps the tactical discipline um, of the position that's asked of him when he plays. So to see Tierney step into that role and actually play that football, you know, bring the ball into midfield and try to help up, help out with that central build-up, I think that's commendable. It's a very different conversation to the level that he does it at. That's the, that's the difference, right? There's going to be a drop-off because it's not a natural game. But it'll be interesting to see um, when he plays you know, provided all is well fitness-wise, it'll be interesting to see, um, yeah, exactly exactly how that comes off. Um, look, as far as the Premier League goes, Brentford 1-2, lost 1, drawn 3. Um, they scored 15 goals, 9 against, and they're currently top half of the table, sitting in 8th. Um, on the Arsenal side of things, 1-5, lost 1, scored 14, goals against 7, sitting in 1st. That's right, top of the table, in case you've forgotten. Um Statistically, it's a bit of an interesting game. Uh, in terms of Brentford, opening six games, managed to come back on three occasions from behind to pick up a point. So just know that if we if we score against them, they're not out of it. They're not out of the game. They do have the capacity to come back. They've done it on multiple occasions, um, which is really important because one of the things I think we've all noticed about this Arsenal side is not always killing teams off when you are on top. And so I think... You know, this will be a good game to try and develop that killer instinct. And if we find ourselves with possession, in control, dominating possession, positional play, quick passing, quick interchanges, kill them off. Get the ball in central areas, get the shots off, kill them off. Um, also, you know, mentioned being top of the league. Again, just in case anyone forgot, still top of the league. Um, but despite being league leaders, only Manchester City, with 20 goals, have scored more than Brentford in the Premier League, who are 15. I think Brentford are level with Liverpool, um, but have a better goal difference. So Brentford get goals. They do. They have more Premier League goals than us. Um, so we know they are a threat. Um, and 10 of Brentford's 15 goals this season have come at home. So again, um, they really do score goals and they really are confident in scoring goals at home. Um, and they've only lost one of their last eight top flight fixtures at home. So they they know how to get points there. So it will be a tough game. I, I hope they come out to play because if they do, I think we'll just absolutely slot them. But my guess is Thomas Frank will be smarter than that and this will be a tough fixture. Nothing to fear, don't get me wrong, but a tough fixture nonetheless. Anyway, 
that's the end of part one. Um, come back for part two. We'll look at styles of play, um, things to look out for, potential starting lineup, and just wrap up in um, some other news, including a look at the uh, game against Brighton last night, uh, Arsenal women and Brighton women. So be back soon. Hello, people. It is part two of the Hybrid Club podcast. Um, so hope you've got yourself a nice little drink and you're nice and relaxed so we can ca- crack on. Um, looking at sort of what we can expect in terms of styles of play. Now, in terms of Arsenal, you know us. I don't think we're going to change our style of play that differently to uh, play Brentford because I think Artest is building a team that he very much wants to play in a particular way. And that style of play is meant to be able to deal with whatever threat we could come up against. I think there are very few teams that Arteta will change his style of play for. I don't think Brentford is one of them. So you know what to expect. You know that how our build-up is going to go um, in terms of Ramsdale's uh, variance and distribution, side wider kicks, long kicks, short passes out from the back. You know, we'll try to play out through from the defence as well um, where necessary. Um, you know our fullbacks will step into midfield and we'll have that 2-3-5 or 3-2-5 depending on, on the pattern of play. Um, so you'll know those um, defensive channels will leave some will be left somewhat exposed. So uh, zone one of four, zone three and six will be potentially exposed as our plays will kick on. Um, uh, and so it's going to be really important again for the, the one-on-one defending for the likes of Saliba and Gabriel to cover those channels. So if a ball goes over the top, if they can't win the tackle, delay, delay, delay until our players can get back into position. Um, for us, as we get the ball into the final third, move the ball around, quick switches, quick interchange passes, move them around, create space for us to be able to play into um, or get the ball into zone 16, zone 18 for the cutback. Um, so we know what we're going to do. We know the positional play. We know the the channels that our, our tackles are playing into. So it's for us to kind of impose our game on them. Um, as far as Brentford are concerned, um, look, as we said, they got that really good result against United. Um, they got that really good result against Leeds. Uh, they are a team who have played with a back two before, but against some of the better teams, they have adopted a back three. Um, I think we'll see a back three in this game with Tony and Bremo up top um, in a front two. Um, the fact is they'll try to press high up the pitch. They'll want to create pressure to try and force turnovers. Um, that will allow them to create sort of breakaways into our channels as we spoke about, right? So as, for example, Ben White and Tierney push into midfield, right back and left back spaces get vacated. Um, and so a long ball over the top, you know, that could kill us. We saw with the United game, the inability to close down Ericsson in that deep light and playmaker role um, basically meant that he could just play a ball to Fernandez, who made himself available, and then it was just a quick pass and they were in behind and it was a wrap. So that's what you don't want. You don't want passes going from their defence to, I don't know, uh, Jensen, who plays a ball through to Tony, or ball going from uh, defence to Tony, who plays ball through to Embremo. It's what you don't want. You don't want to end up in foot races. I'm confident in Gabriel and Saliba's um, one-on-one defending skills, but you just don't want it because more times than not, if a team is defending into transition, it means that you are out of position and they have the advantage because ultimately that's what you want to do. If you play a team who are very structured, you want to move their players about to create um, distances that they can't cover for, and that just allows you space to transition into. And because football is so structured now, teams aren't great at dealing with unstructured play um, because, well, it's unstructured. That's that's the whole point, right? Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of uh, Brentford really trying to put some pressure to create those turnovers. Um, you'll recall, for example, the Brentford goal against United where the ball got played out over the top into the channel 16 for Tony, and he just hit that first-time pass across the pitch for Mbremo to run onto. He got the ball, controlled it, turned the United defender in, and slotted the ball home. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. If you if you haven't seen it, go back and watch the Brentford-United game and look at the Mbremo goal, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about in terms of the transition into the channels. Um, Brentford did it to them, United did it to us. So it's something we'll need to to focus on if we don't want that to happen again. Um, and to avoid that, other than just you know m- maintaining possession in the middle of the pitch, that's where the technical security comes in. Um, and that's where a loss of a player like Zinchenko is uh, quite damaging because he really, really, really was quite good at trying to uh, at helping us retain that technical security in the middle of the pitch. So other than maintaining that technical security, if you do lose the ball, you want to regain it 
quickly and i mean quickly you can't let them string two passes together and play the ball out because you're you're done it, it's really you got to nip that in the bud knock the ball out rotational fouling whatever you've got to do but you can't lose the ball in the middle of the pitch it it will kill you um but it also means that as i said as we do our positional play and we you know create those triangles so Erdegaard, saka um jesus or martinelli shaka jesus as we're creating those triangles and we move their plays about we need to take our our chances so if we get an opening shoot shoot on site um that that has to be the message really um in terms of trying to create those those pressures um expect to see their two center backs uh, their two center forwards push on our two center backs um and then go man for man everywhere everywhere else so wing backs and full backs Jensen on our number six um, so if they get a turnover in that situation, we'll be out of position all over the place and they'll be on us like a, a, like a rash. So um, we'll need to make sure uh, we are on our best behavior when it comes to not making silly mistakes. Um, it also means that Ramsdale needs to be at his best when it comes to kicking because the one thing we have that United don't have um, when it comes to doing this is we have a goalkeeper who has varied distribution. So when uh, Brentford were pressuring United, for example, they would go back to De Gea and De Gea was, yeah, his kicking was non-existent. He, it's just not his game. Brilliant shot stopper, but ball at his feet, he's not the guy. Ramsdale, on the other hand, you know, deft touches, clip ball over the top, drilled sidewinders wide, you know, uh, drilled shots through the middle. He's He's got all different passes in his locker. So we'll need that to be able to escape pressure if they push up against us. And that's the thing that makes me think Frank may not go as all out on us as he did against United because if he does we can pop a ball over the top and Saka, Martinelli, Jesus are running in behind at you and if you are Brentford defence and you see them running at you that is exactly what you don't want and both of our goals against them last season exactly that you know Saka, Smitho running at them they didn't like that so more of that please um, one of the things I've noticed is um, this season the propensity for which we give away silly goals um that needs to go quickly. And I think Brentford is a team you just, you again, you want to really, really, really make sure that you are maintaining security of that ball because any silly mistakes, you know, you saw the pass back from uh, Gabriel to Turner in the Europa League, none of that. Um, obviously, the own goal for Saliba, um, the, the pass between Gabriel and Ramsdale in the Fulham game that led to the goal. All of those things, you need to cut those out. Um, those are the kind of mistakes that really are going to cost you against a team like Brentford, because if they go ahead, they'll be a tough team to break down. Um, and the more we push, the more they'll go in behind. So this is another game where the first goal is really going to matter. We can't let them get the first goal. We've got to get the first goal and make them play. Um, and that means no silly mistakes. Um, Another thing um, is set pieces. Where Brentford and Arsenal have something in common, both teams are very, very, very good at set pieces. Um, we have improved drastically. There was a long time where we were not a set piece team. They, we were not a team that were good at defending them and we didn't score many from them. Um, that's changed under Arteta. We are now a very good set piece, set piece team and um, we know that we've done a lot of work in that area. We get a lot of goals. Gabriel's a great threat, um, but we also know that we don't concede too many from a set piece. I think it was pretty late last season that we conceded our first goal from a set piece. It, it wasn't it wasn't early on. It was sort of in the last couple of months, I think. Um, Brentford, Brentford, also really good at set pieces. Um, so expect them to, for example, put a lot of defenders on Ramsdale. The, think of the Rams, uh, think of the Villa game where Douglas Luiz scores from the corner. Um, that's probably a sign when a team does that that's a sign that they think your keeper can be got at um so i expect to see some of that also expect to see you know deep crosses back post tony knocked down head on um the goal they got against us at the emirates last season um exactly that a set piece ball pinballed pinballed around and um yeah no guy just put it in the net really so that's something else to look out for equally as we said you know, we're no slouches with set piece ourselves. So that might be an opportunity for us to try and um, get something from them if we're not getting much joy in open play. So from that side of things, it will be very much a who can take advantage because both teams are, are really good in that in that area. As far as lineup lineups go, um, for us, I think it will be 
there, there's probably um, one main talking point, which is that number six position. Thomas Partey's back in training. So does he come back in? Um, or does Lokonga keep his place and Partey come off the bench? I think ultimately if Partey's fit, if he if the manager thinks he's match fit, he'll play. It's that simple. Um, because we don't have another game till October 1st. So um, I, I think if he's fit, he plays. It's just a question of how fit is he. Um, so I think we'll see Ransdale, White, Saliba, Gabriel, Tierney, Party, Odegaard, Shaka, Saka, Martinelli, Jesus. It, you know, it's the starting lineup that's been winning games, bar uh, Tierney for Zinchenko. That's that's what I think we'll get. Um, again, unless there's some other fitness issue that we don't know about, I think that's what we'll get. Zinchenko, Smithrow, Nelson, Elneny, Cedric, all out. Um, two of those, two of those could have had a contention to to come into the game. Um, but, you know, given Martinelli's form and obviously given what Sinchenko gives us, I think we know what the starting lineup would have been had all those players been fit. But that's where we are. I think, like I said, we're going to see a 3-5-2 from Brentford. So, Raya, I think we'll see um, Jansen, uh, Ruleslev, me in defence, Hickey, Henry, wingbacks, um, Jensen, Janet, De Silva, with Mbremo and Tony in, as the front two. Um, so, no Christian Nudegaard, who, of course, scored against us last season. Um, and no Ethan Pinnock, uh, but they may well have uh, Sergi Canos back, who played a pivotal role in our loss at the community stadium last season. Um, so that for me is what I think the lineups will be. That's what I think Brentford will do. Um, as I said, I think the main talking points for this game from an attacking point of view for us, it's going to be the the degree to which we can maintain technical security and control of the ball, particularly in central areas. We do not want to lose the ball in central areas. We do not want to lose the ball, pushing plays forward on the edge of the area for them to break away. So if we're knocking the ball about, great, maintain possession, but purposeful passing, move them about, technical security, no loose touches, no silly back passes or anything like that. Um, and otherwise, if, if, if Brentford managed to get a breakaway, it's important the one-on-one defenders, if you can't win the ball back, delay, 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 so our players can get back into position and we can shut them out. That's going to be an important thing. Defending them, um, it's going to be really, really important that, number one, really strong in the duels because Tony's a handful and Brepo's quick. Um, De Silva's good from midfield, so is Jensen. Both of them um, a goal threat as well. Um, but otherwise, I think ultimately it's, a, it's about taking your chances. If we have the ball, if we have control of possession, we need to take our chances. And that for me is really what it's all going to be about. That's what, it, you know, it's football, right? It's all it ever is about is taking your chances. But I do think that's going to be the pivotal pivotal thing to talk about. Um, so in other news, um, Mikel Arteta, manager of the month, five wins from six in August. Um, he said... He thinks, you know, it's a sign that the team's performing well and winning football matches, and it's a consequence of that. And that ultimately is what it is, right? Um, Arteta winning manager of the month is because our team is winning games and has been winning games, bar the United one. So long may it continue. Obviously, he'll want to uh, avoid the fabled uh, manager of the month curse um, that got brought up in All or Nothing by Moose from TalkSport. Um, he'll want to make sure, like I said, that the uh, United win... Uh, the United loss is just that, and we go to Brentford and win. Um, and so he can carry on his good run of form and be in with a shout of winning the September manager of the month, despite only playing one game in the Premier League. That's not me, though, there. Anyway, um, we saw the return of Arsenal women for the new WSL uh, season with a game against Brighton women. Um, brilliant 4 0 win. Uh, you know, saw the interview with uh, Hope Powell in, in in advance of the game who said, you know, everyone expects Arsenal to win, but they're not going to hand it to them. And to be fair, I think Brighton tried hard, did well, but Arsenal were just a better team. Um, it was a brilliant game. We saw some legends in attendance. Of course, the legend Kelly Smith with another Arsenal legend, Ian Wright, um, two of the GOATs. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a fantastic game. If you had, If you haven't seen the, the highlights, go and check it out. Um, some brilliant play from from some of the Arsenal players in this game. I mean, for example, um, there was one line-breaking defence playing pass from Leah Williamson that was phenomenal. Um, it played in Blackstinius, who ran through, um, got tripped over by Emma Kohlberg from Brighton, and uh, Brighton defender got a red card for uh, preventing a goal-scoring opportunity. After that, it was just, yeah, it was all us. Um, so Ford nearly got an opener after a give-and-go on the edge of the box. Um, chopped it back, sent the Brighton defender to the shops, 
Um, but the shot went just wide. It would have been a brilliant goal, but just not enough power and accuracy on that one. The first goal did involve Ford, though. He took advantage of a defender slipping to run inside the area from the left wing, cut back uh, to Little, who took a touch and slammed the ball home, and it was 1-0. Um, nearly got the second when uh, a break saw Miedemar playing Blackstinius, who, you know, rocked a shot off the bar. Um, Miedemar was playing that number 10 role that she'd been playing in under Jonas Eideval, um, whereas previously um, she was under Montemura, she was obviously playing in more of the striker role. And while she bagged a ridiculous number of goals, I think she's always been very clear that, you know, She's, I think she's always seen herself more as a number 10 listening to some of her interviews. Um, so I think it's a role that she's more comfortable in. Although, let's face it, she's a brilliant player, right? She's comfortable wherever you put her, really. Um, but she had a really, really good game, um, which is always great to see because she's just phenomenal. Um, Leah Walty nearly sw- uh, swept one in home, um, but the keeper made a brilliant save. That would have been a phenomenal shot. It's sort of similar to what Saliba did um, it, when he got his goal, um, the way he just swept it in against Palace. Um but yeah, the second goal did come when Beth Mead picked the ball up in zone 14, turned on the spot, slipped it through to Blackstonius, who just rifled the ball past the keeper. It was a brilliant striker's finish, and it's exactly why Idevall brought her in last season. Um, that's what she's there to do, you know. Uh, Mead in the number 10 role, her up top, just play her through, do those direct runs and fire the ball home. That's exactly what she's about. So fantastic goal for her. Um, there were other brilliant bits of play, though. Kim Little picked the ball up. Um, so she picked the pocket of the Brighton defender um, in, in the attacking right-hand channel, a little give-and-go before playing it to Mida on the edge of the area. Mida brings it into zone 18. She looks like she's going to um, sort of cross it there and then, but she takes another little touch, and just taking that little touch completely throws the defender off because they're expecting the cutback. So now they've just got to take another step, so they're just completely out sync just by that little touch. Ordinarily, that position, a player takes too, too many touches and they kind of lose the chance, but just taking that touch kind of just... Yeah, threw off the defender, which allows her to um, sort of play another cutback um, into the box. And yeah, Mead sweeps it into the net. It was a brilliant touch for Meadema. Um, Sort of the deafness touch, the quality of a football shining through again. Um, and a reminder that we are very, very lucky that she signed that new contract this May because, um, yeah, how do you replace, how do you replace a player like Meadema? Honestly, I, I, I don't know. Um, there aren't many that good. There really aren't. Um, we saw uh, Jordan Nobbs come off the bench, hit a stinging shot from just inside the area that hit the bar. Looking at it, I think the keeper may have got a, a slight touch on it, um, but not 100% sure, but it was a really good shot. But it would have been an absolutely filthy assist from Meade, who just played a cheeky little nutmeg to set up the shot. Um, but yeah, the fourth goal did come. Uh, Lena Hertig played a nice ball around the corner after a quick give-and-go with Frieda Mounham, um, who then took the ball in zone 18 and just drilled a shot at the keeper. Keeper had strong hands, to be fair, um, and so it got knocked in the middle of the area, and that's where Mead chested the ball down. Um, as the ball dropped, showed it to Keeper. Keeper tried to decide to dive at it to try and get it, and she just sat the Keeper down, took a touch, knocked it to her right, the Keeper's left, and just slotted it home. Ridiculous goal. Two for Mead, four for Arsenal. Game done. Um, after the game, uh, manager Jonas Eideval had some, uh, a few interesting comments. He was talking about sort of Brighton playing in a deep block, and he said, you know, I don't mind teams playing like that against us um i like to he you know he doesn't like to play the same game over and over again um he's sorry he likes to play the same game over and over again because they're prepared for it ultimately um and ultimately it's 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 the consequence of the way we play that they do that deep block and i think that's an important point to make right if you go up against teams and you're constantly facing deep blocks it means it's because you're good at what you do um and that's the point i think you're trying to make um, and he was also talking about the nature of our, our attacking play in that game. And he said, you know, um, it's key because you can pass the ball and try combination play. But when you come down the sides, if you can dribble as well, it means that teams have to cover all the time. Um, when they have to cover, that's when you get the free player. And that's so important. So this is another thing that um, we don't talk about much when we talk about build up to games and, and play. It's as much as you have the positional play and as much as you have the give and goes and the quick one twos and those kind of things and like passing interchanges, what you need is individual brilliance as well. You need players who can take players on because structured teams aren't prepared for that, right? If you set up a team in a defensive structure ready to prevent a team from scoring, if one player comes at you, step over, step over, takes you on, runs past, you've got to go with them. If you go with them, you're not in the position you should be in. That creates space. 
and that space creates disorganization because another player has to fill in. They're not where they should be. Another player has to cover them. They're not where they should be and so on and so on and so on. It has a knock-on effect. And so that's why, you know, you see, for example, the Arsenal men's, uh, the play of like, people like Saka and Martinelli are so important um, because of their ability to run at teams. You saw Gabriel Jesus, his goal against Leicester, the individual brilliance. You need that as well as the structured positional play. And the Arsenal women have that with the likes of Beth Mead, Kim Little, Miedema. Um, you know, it, the, the, there are so many players who um, who can do that in the team. Um, McCabe, it's the, the players who can go at a player and sort of commit them so we saw that, for example, like I said, with Mead sitting the keeper down. Um, you saw that Miedema little touch, you know, throws off the defender, creates space for the cutback. These little things are the things that when you are playing a team in a deep block who are very structured, those moments of individual quality create the space that allow you to break them down. And so that's what you want to see. So it was fantastic to see, see the team play like that um, and get the win. And it was also great because we hadn't had any Arsenal games for so long. So seeing the Arsenal women win, watching the Arsenal play is always a great opportunity. Um, looking forward to heading down to the North London Derby as well to watch that live. Um, that'll be a fantastic as well. And also looking forward to catching uh, some other games this season, including the games against uh, Chelsea and Arsenal later on. Um, that's Chelsea and Arsenal, Chelsea and United later on um so we'll see what's 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 good there but great start to the season for the arsenal women um in other news we hear that uh arsenal has been speaking recently so he spoke at the event regarding um the release of david dean's book um david dean also had a book signing at the tollington uh recently which uh, by all accounts went really well um and Wenger was talking about sort of not coming back to arsenal and he was talking about the fact that you know when he left, everyone needed some change and he understood that. Um, and so he felt that if he came back, it would be a distraction um, and it would be sort of talking point and it just wouldn't be good and it wouldn't be healthy. So he decided that for the good of the club and everybody involved, it's better if he just stayed away completely. So he's just not been back at all in any capacity. Um, and you can tell, I think, more than anything from the way he talks about it, Number one, you can see a shift in how he's spoken about it because, you know, I think he went from being quite defiant about his exit to being um, very, uh, to sort of understanding maybe coming to terms with it a bit as he got his freedom and started to do more of his time that he wanted to do um, to sort of, I think, yeah, realizing that maybe he should have left sooner. I think that's what's happened. Um, but you can tell the way it happened hurt him. I, I think it's clear that he's hurt. He needed space. The club needed space. Um, so with that distance comes some healing. Uh, I don't think he ever wants some kind of ceremonial role that has no power or influence. I think if he ever came to have a role at Arsenal, it would be a role that, you know, there was some decision-making um, power there. I don't think he'd want to just be a figurehead. You know, I, th I think if he, if he came back to Arsenal in some capacity, it would very much be to be someone um and i don't know how realistic a possibility that is with the current setup but that's fine you know for me i would just love to see him in the stands i would just love to see him in the stands at the emirates watching a game um watching you know a modern arsenal that he helped to build you know don't get me wrong there was arsenal long before arsenal came along and arsenal had massive success long before Arsenal was ever manager, but there is no denying the impact he had on building the modern Arsenal. And so it would be nice to see him in the stadium um, cheering on the Arsenal as a supporter. Um, but I'm also glad that he stayed away for a while because it got too much. The toxicity, while I don't blame him for that in the sense of, um, you know, he can't control other people's reaction to him and his decisions. I think it's clear he had to go for a while um, and he didn't. And while I don't blame him for that, because ultimately, you know, part of the reason elite professionals do what they do is because they believe they can. Um, I think it, there's no denying that a lot of the factions that we see now aren't just because we live in a social media era. It's because of the factions that developed over him staying too long. And I think while we would have had some other kind of debate to replace the Wenger in Wenger out debate I think him staying too long basically meant that those factions bedded in way more than they needed to way more than they should have and we are seeing some of the fallout in terms of how the fan base reacts to certain things that have been going on in the last few years in part because of the anger that had built up and the desire for change 
post Wenger. Um, so I hope he comes back. Um, Arteta spoke about him coming back and said, I would love that. Uh, I think he's explained it. I think he has every window and every door in this football club open whenever he is ready and whenever he feels it's, right moment, it's the right moment to do. He knows that from my side. He knows that from many other people at the football club and hopefully that will happen soon. But I think he will inspire um, a lot of people um, and people are going to be happy to see him. And I think that that very much is it. I think now with the passing of time, the club will be very open to him coming back in some capacity. But I don't think it would be, professionally speaking, in a capacity that Wenger would want. So for me, if he can come back as a fan, you know, red and white scarf, cheering the team on, that's 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 good enough for me. Um, anyway, that's it from us at the Hybrid Club. Um, let's see what happens. Let's get a win over Brentford. Um, finish game week seven at the top of the table. If we do, um, if not, drop points. We could finish, you know, we could be third behind City and them lot. So let's just get the win ultimately. We don't want to drop points. We want to get back on the saddle after the United result. We want to get the win, the three points, stay top of the table. We're top of the table at the moment. We are the pacers, so let's set the pace. Anyway, people, that's it for the Hypercard. But thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll have a match review pod, I think, on Monday following the Brentford game. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have more content to look at over the international window. Um, we'll, we'll have some interesting stuff we're looking to do. So stay with us for now. But Anyway, people, enjoy the game, enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk soon. All the best. This is The Hybrid Club. You know where to find us at The Hybrid Club. You know where to find me at C-E-A-S-E-S-A-Y-S. Have a good one, people.